Welcome to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm author and book devourer, Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about what exactly literary fiction is and isn't. And no one knows. No one really knows (laughs) and what it should be. And we're interviewing Glasser Danielle about her chapter of The Silent Book Club. Very exciting. Yes, but first, what are you reading, Bria? I'm reading a big Glasser book. You've already talked about it on the show, so I'm not going to talk about it too much, but um, I'm really enjoying it. Actually, it's all rainy here today, so I got up this morning and said, you know, instead of doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to f- keep reading this book. I'm reading How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix. I've been seeing it on a lot of the Glasser <laughs> Instagrams, but it's, inter- it's interesting. So, it, you know, I was not sure about it because I was like, puppets, is it going to be scary in book form? And it's quite scary. So it's like a puppet-based horror book about a woman whose parents die suddenly and she goes back home. And her mother was really into doing puppetry at church and which is a big thing in like Christian puppetry yeah in like southern churches as they're there you often have puppet shows for kids and they are they aren't not creepy and so like this is like really (laughs) hit home in a lot of ways and um and she has this like contentious relationship with her brother because they've always had things that uh they always never got along and you know suddenly it's like they have to figure out what they're gonna do with the house and they can't get along about anything and like you kind of hate the brother at first, and then after a while, you come around to the brother, and then things just go haywire from there. Like, that is, like, the beginning, oh, and then— they sure do. I mean, it's not like it's—like, it's a haunted house book, which, of course, Mallory loves. But the, I think the great thing about a haunted house book is that you aren't traveling the world. You're just in this haunted house. You're just in the haunted house, and mm-hmm. just scary shit has to happen within With that haunted house. those puppets. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I I feel like um, he did a really good job so far. I'm almost done with it. I feel like it's one of our faves. Uh, gonna be the, I know it's a Glasser fave because, man, I saw it all over our Instagram yes. like for a while. The week it came mm-hmm. out, which was like maybe a couple weeks ago, everyone was reading it. So I felt like I had to get on that train. Um, the, the puppet train. Currently, it is in my top slot. I'm waiting for something to unseat it, but it has been my favorite book of 2023 since last September. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what are you reading, Molly? Oh, speaking of favorite books of 2023, I'm reading a book that I would be stunned if it didn't make it to the list by one of my favorite authors. It's Kelly Link's new short story collection, White Cat, Black Dog. Oh, my God, Bria. (laughs) These stories. It's so good. So they're all retellings of fairy tales, which is going to be of interest to a lot of glassers. But in typical Kelly Link fashion, they're all of different genres. Like there are some fantasy ones. There's some sci-fi ones. There's a spaceship one that you would really love, Bria. There's a post-apocalyptic horror one that is, oh, it's probably my favorite so far. There is a, there's a couple, like it's all, it's just all speculative fiction. Kelly Link is like, I always say that she's the heir to Ray Bradbury's throne because she's so good at mixing genres and just kind of flitting from whatever genre she wants to write in. And she's just a master of all of them. And it is like, it's so weird and funny and scary and brilliant. And like, they're just like, I literally, I, I, some of these stories, like I couldn't stop reading them. Like Jeremy was like, oh, time for dinner. I'm like, nope. Because <laughs> I can't stop. <laughs> They're absolutely amazing. And it comes out in a few weeks. So please pre order this. And I think if you pre order it from her uh, bookstore, Book Moon in Massachusetts, you get a little chap book because it's illustrated as well, which you will like, Bria. 
And I think, uh, yeah, you get like a random chat book that has illustrations of, of one story. And I'll put a link to that. So definitely worth pre-ordering. It's, I think this is going to be my top short story collection of the year. Uh, so that's White Cat, Black Dog by Kelly Link. And mine is How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendricks. So we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Uh, we got a lot of feedback about post-book sadness and what to do when you just want to keep staying in the book that you love. But we also weirdly got a lot of feedback about Lonesome Dove. <laughs> Did we talk about uh, Lonesome Dove that episode? Yeah, I talked about Lonesome Dove in that episode because that's one of those weird books that even though it's a thousand pages long, I got really sad when I finished mm-hmm. it because I wanted a thousand more pages and struck a chord with the glasses. <laughs> we got a lot of emails about it. <laughs> Rob wrote in to say, first of all, I'm super pumped to hear that Mallory's new book will be out soon. I've pre-ordered a copy to add to my classroom library. Rob, thank you so much. Good time to remind people that my first middle grade book for, for about filmmaking for young girls and teens and other folks is uh, coming out in May. You can pre-order it right now. I'm really excited. Uh, but Rob says, I totally get Mallory's take on Lonesome Dove. It's my favorite book of all time, and I reread it every few years. I've read the sequel and the two prequels as well, and a ton of Larry McMurtry's other books trying to recapture that feeling, but nothing will ever compare to that book. Wow. I was also going to send you some links to slide whistle performers, hey. but my wife was getting annoyed with listening to all the videos. <laughs> so instead of opening those links back up and risking having to sleep on the couch, just just take my word that there's some impressive stuff out there on YouTube. Thanks, as always, for a great show. <laughs> Catherine wrote in and said, I listened to the latest episode today and I absolutely had to write in and say how much I loved hearing Mallory talk about how much she loves Lonesome Dove. It's one of my favorite books and I'm a woman who just told my husband, either book, any book with either a male author or a male narrator has to strike has a strike against it for me right from the beginning. There's just too many men talking to me all the time. I don't want another one. So yeah, <laughs> a book centered around a bunch of cowboys, not really in my wheelhouse, but damn, I love Lonesome Dove. I love it so much. My cat is named Augustus McRae. I almost got another cat just so I could name him Call, which I assume are names from that book. I, I mean, I, book. Catherine, I'm in the same boat. Lonesome Dove has literally nothing in my wheelhouse. You would pick up this book and be like, this is not a Mallory book. But it is like a perfect book. It is so amazing. Mm-hmm. Jody wrote in to say, I wanted to add another activity to Mallory's excellent suggestion of marinating in the world of the book a bit longer. If I really, really love a book and don't want to let it go, I get the audio book and start it immediately. Ooh, this is a hot book tip. Mm-hmm. Uh, that enables me to re-experience the world from a different angle while simultaneously starting to reread another book. I've done this with Stephen King's Dark Tower series, Piranesi in the Hunger Games, and I'll likely do it again and again and again. <laughs> also, Bria, check this out. Mallory can take her slide whistle on the road. And it is... Uh, a YouTube link. That is another thing we got a lot of feedback about is um, when Bria was joking about us uh, taking the slide whistle show on the road and learning to play songs in the slide whistle. Uh, a lot of people were like, you guys, you can. <laughs> I, I'm listening. I'm watching it right now. Maybe we will look into this. I appreciate all of you sending in your favorite slide whistle videos. Y'all have a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not as much as we do, clearly. I guess not. 
Uh, yeah, you folks have definitely given us some ideas that you may or may not be seeing implemented at some point soon <laughs> in the future. <laughs> uh, so you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. If you want a list of all the books we talk about on the show delivered to your inbox every month, you can sign up for our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. And a couple bookmarks. I want to say that the challenge winners of the 2022 Reading Glasses Glasses Challenge have been chosen. I sent out the packages. We ended up picking five winners this year because there were four or five times as many people who entered the challenge as last year, which I think is really, really cool. We just had a ton of people entering and it was awesome to go through it and see what people did for each part of the challenge. It was really, really fun. And I do want to say, I texted Bria about this. Two of the challenge winners are from the same town. <laughs> and I didn't want to notify either of you. I didn't want to invade your privacy. But if you are a glasser from Overland, Kansas City, <laughs> and you won the challenge, there is someone else who lives in your town who is a glasser. And by the looks of your challenges, you the two of you might get along. So if you were interested in having me introduce the two of you, send me an email. No, they must already know each other. They must already know each other. You never know. Okay, all right, all right. Well, we'll see. Let us know. I never, we, wanna, I never a, give, want to assume. Give us a follow-up on this. I'm invested. And also, huge, huge announcement. Probably our biggest announcement ever of the year. The Maximum Fun Drive is coming, folks. Coming. It's coming. We have oh my God. so many plans. It's happening. Including possibly learning a song on the slide whistle now. Oh, my God. We're, we will not announce all of our goals and plans right now, but we just want to tell people the Max Fun Drive is coming. It is happening the last two weeks of March this year. So if you are a new listener to the show, you uh, have been listening for a while, and you're like, man... I listen to Reading Glasses every week, and it helps me out with lots of stuff. I want to support these ladies. The time is coming. Folks, we have some wild stuff planned for this drive, we, including something really, really big that we've been working on for a long time, and you are going to get regardless. So even if you are already a Reading Glasses supporter, you're just going to get this thing. You don't have to wait for us to get to a certain amount of uh, upgrading and new members. It's just going to happen, and it's going to drop on the first day of the drive. We're so stoked about it. Uh, and if you are a, a person who is not a member that supports Reading Glasses, this is, the, this is your time to join the Slack channel. Get in on our Zoom parties, get in on this big secret thing that's happening, and all the other silly things we're going to do for this drive. We're so excited. We've been planning this for quite a long time. We're actually working on one of the things that we're doing later today. So there's going to be a lot of fun stuff. Keep in mind, so the drive starts the 20th and ends on the 30th of March. Uh, keep an eye out. We are really excited. We're going to be doing a lot of live events, a lot of streams, uh, another Zoom party. This is going to be a blast. Uh, so keep an eye out on our Instagram and our Twitter and keep listening to the show for for updates because uh, Drive is coming and it's going to be fun. So before we talk about literary fiction, we're going to take a quick break. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we are always growing and changing, just like our changing book tastes. Sometimes you change as a person, and the thing that can help you figure that out, figure out who you want to be, figure out who you are now, figure out the way to get to the places that you want to go, is therapy. I have been in therapy for a wicked long time. I've been in therapy for with this one therapist for... Ooh, six or seven years. And I was in therapy for a few years before that. And it is truly one of the best things I ever did for myself. And if you were looking to do the same, 
BetterHelp can connect you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. If you're thinking of starting therapy and you don't know where to start, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime you want for no additional charge. You can just switch. If you're not feeling good about the person you're talking to, you don't feel like they get you, you need some other kind of challenge, you can switch, no problem. And a lot of people benefit from therapy. Y'all have heard us talk about therapy. We suggest therapy to people on the show. We've had people write in to us and say, I have a book problem. We say, no, you need to go to therapy. <laughs> and that's not an insult. That's something Books can that, only take you so far, That's people. true. That's something that we just believe in. We both are real believers in therapy. It can really help you develop coping skills, how to teach you how to set boundaries. It can help you through when you're going through um, a massive change in your life or you're experiencing some sort of major trauma, but it also can just help you with the day-to-day. You don't have to be going through something to go to therapy. So discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash glasses today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash glasses. Glasses. If you have trouble falling asleep, try sleeping with celebrities. Tell me about your view of, of succulents. I'm not a I'm not a huge fan. It's a different kind of sleep podcast. There are some real benefits to parking illegally. Featuring remarkable guests and unremarkable topics. There's two Orlando airports. From the creator of Depression Mode with John Moe, it's sleeping with celebrities. Every week on Maximum Fun. Nighty night, sleepyheads. This week, we're talking about something that causes readers a lot of confusion. What exactly is literary fiction? (laughs) What does it mean when a book is described as literary? How is it different from genre fiction? Does it even matter? (laughs) So first off, let's define literary fiction. There are actually a few different definitions floating around, uh, and none of them are like the end-all be-all. One is that literary books aim to show real life and reality as opposed to, you know, like a fantasy world. Uh, another is that it's any book without speculative or genre elements, you know, like horror, sci-fi. Another is that literary means the book emphasizes character, language, or themes over plot, aka being character-driven instead of plot-driven. And finally, some just say that it's more language-forward prose and thematic elements. Are any of these totally right? We're going to find out. Is yeah. it confusing? Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it just seems like uh, every there's an exception to every one of these rules. The rules are there, yes. but they also seem to just switch from book to book depending on how people like to define it. Yes. So it's a common joke among authors that you don't know what genre your book is until a publisher buys it and stops starts marketing it. I think uh, Paul Tremblay made that joke not too long ago on our show. Uh, there's some guarantees, of course. You know, if you don't have any sci-fi, fantasy, horror elements in, in the book— um, and it's a family drama about a grocery store, it probably is going to be a literary fiction book. Like, we can pretty much assume. Yes. If you're writing a romance novel, it's probably going to be put under romance. 
Uh, so a good example is Britt Bennett, uh, an author that I really love. Her books have no genre elements and are, at least so far, always like very firmly literary. Um, but there are some books, a lot of books that you and I love that have crossover elements. So where do those go? Yeah. And there's also a lot of people who are like crossover writers who like maybe start one way and end the other way or vice versa. Yeah, because there's a lot of literary books with genre elements, um, and it depends on the writing style. It depends on the publisher who buys it. Um, Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer, that's a great example. It's a sci-fi horror book. We know it. It's scary. It makes you feel weird. It makes you want to crawl out of your skin. It has all this <laughs> science fiction in it. But FSG, that's the literary imprint that bought it, they, they marketed it to be more literary than it would have been a different if some other imprint or, or book publisher had bought it. So like if Tor bought it or something like that. Yeah, that's something that is really weird weird and wild to think about, that uh, part of what a book is marketed as and part of uh, the genre a book is, like, released as is 100% dependent on who buys it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, FSG does a lot of different, like, sort of speculative fiction. They did that book I really loved last year, um, the Th- This Thing Between Us by Gus Moreno. Uh, that's a f- straight-up fucking horror book, but... FSG bought it so it's like it was marketed as a little bit more literary but that book could have easily been bought by Nightfire or Del Rey or something and been like much much more genre you know other good examples that we talk about on the show a lot Severance by Ling Ma Mm -hmm. Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel those are post-apocalyptic books but the style and the publishers who bought them are more literary you know Mm -hmm. Mike Chen's books Kelly Barnhill's When Women Were Dragons are other great examples uh, you know, on the flip side, there's genre authors like uh, ones we love, like Sarah Gailey, Catriona Ward, could very easily fit in at a literary imprint. Yeah. Listen, it's like if you leave your house and you put on one jacket, you're still the same person as if you put on your leather jacket or then if you put on your cloak. But one makes you look like a like a, <laughs> like a punk guy and one makes you look like a like a... You know, a person who'd, who'd do a D&D game. Or like you're, let's say you put on like a sweater vest. You know, you're still you underneath, but people might view you differently at first. And they may have preconceived I'm just imagining conditions. books wear all the, wearing all this Yeah, stuff. that's nice. A little sweater vest and a book. So mostly this is about marketing and trying to find the right audience that'll make the book as successful as it can be. Common publishing wisdom, thanks to one of our wonderful Reading Glasses correspondents, is that genre readers will check out literary books, but literary readers won't usually check out genre books. And I have found that to be true. I guess I just don't know that many people who read straight up only literary fiction. I think, well, for me, and I think we'll talk about this, but I think there is just a level, it's a snobbery thing I it, in a lot of ways. It's that there's like these books called literary fiction and they're held to this standard of where like these are going to be the award winners. These are the ones that are probably going to be in, like, the major book clubs. They're the ones that are just touted as, like, the big literature this year. Um, And then there's genre books, which kind of get put on the other side, even though I truly think that the categories could cross in many ways. But I think people who are like, I'm a reader with, like, a capital R, and I read, like, very, you know, fancy books, they aren't diving into the genre section. They're not going and reading, you know, something that is— that that has a spaceship on the cover. It looks like— and a dog's flying it. They're just like, this is not for me, you know? And even though it might be a great book. <laughs> and to just be clear, we're not saying this is snobbery on the part of readers. We're saying this is snobbery on the part of people who give out awards, uh, you know, book critics, that kind of stuff like that. We're not saying that people who love literary fiction are snobby. Um, 
although sometimes the people who are book snoots that don't consider like, you know, graphic novels to be real books are big fans of literary fiction, but we are big fans of literary fiction. Uh, we just don't think that uh, that means that other book genres are not worthy of awards and recognition and being said that their prose is amazing and stuff. And this is not a, this is, we're not talking about readers here. We're talking about book industry stuff. So honestly, Glassers, really, this only applies to you and us as readers in two ways. One, when you're buying books. The very frustrating thing about literary versus not literary is that sometimes when a genre book becomes really popular, it'll get shelved in the literary fiction section. Uh, a perfect example is uh, N.K. Jemisin's Broken Earth trilogy. You know, it's so popular that you can usually find it in the literary section um, when that is very clearly a genre book. It's a genre book by a genre author and a genre publisher. You know, this is very annoying for genre readers, um, but it's just bookstores who are trying to help customers that might not, like, like Bria said, might not look in the sci-fi fantasy section to find a popular book because that's not really where they go. Yeah, yeah. And the other way it's going to affect people is that um, when you're trying to figure out what books you want to buy, it can help you to know if you're more literary-leaning like if you're like, oh, I like this kind of genre books because you might be a language character person and then you're going to go more towards literary fiction versus people who go for location, then you're probably going to go more genre. But that's kind of it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, in the industry, it's kind of an offensive thing because literary fiction books and books that are, quote, more literary, the level of prose is supposed to be a little bit better. But you know, you and I right now can name a million genre writers that are absolutely like banger writers and have incredible prose and incredible language. So it is if you were if you as a reader are very confused and you're like, this seems very arbitrary. Again, a lot of it is just who's buying it and how it's being marketed. Um, so, Bria, how do you feel about literary fiction? Are you like gravitating towards books that are marked as literary? Yeah, I mean, of course, I feel I, and if you're a reader at some point you are going to read a literary fiction book. This is just what happens. Um, and you will probably read a book and you'll go, oh, that was literary fiction? I didn't know. You'll accidentally stumble your way into a literary fiction book. You'll walk into a room, fall into a literary fiction book, <laughs> and you'll love it. And I've done it on purpose. I've done it not on purpose. Um, I, the I mean, classic I, scenario <laughs> of walking into a room and falling into a literary fiction book. And then starting to read. Um, I... I mean, I like literary fiction and I like books that are not genre. I like books that are like just about the human condition. Like I often will read books, those kinds of books. I think like, I think because of the show and we talk about so much sci-fi and horror and speculative fiction and stuff. I think um, uh, we, you and I get like kind of put into that category, but we are definitely still reading a lot of the big literary fiction books uh, just because I, I mean, they're good. They're usually quite good. Um, I... Again, think that these are the ones who end up getting awards. They're the ones getting read. But I worry about that snobbery level. I think that, like, it's a bit like an Oscar movie, right? Like, there's so many great movies out I think there. this is a perfect metaphor. Yeah, and there's so many great movies out there that just aren't for the Oscars for whatever reason. There's something about them that, like, it doesn't quite fit into what an Oscar movie is. But they still have something really interesting to say. And same with books. There are some that fall into other categories that aren't literary fiction, but that doesn't mean the average person wouldn't get a lot out of them, which is why I'm always trying to recommend, you know, some weird-ass genre book that, like, isn't on these lists to people who only read from these kinds of lists. Um, but, yeah, so, of course, I'm reading them. 
I just like feel like we should have other categories. And, you know, maybe this is not, maybe this is something that people outside of like the heavy reader world don't even notice, Mallory. I'm not sure that they're like, oh, this is just fiction, you know, and they don't think about it being literary fiction. But for me, I find it a little irksome sometimes when it's something is strictly marketed as that. I kind of want something more because also it feels so general. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think that I love that metaphor because th- this year is a perfect example. Like, look at everything everywhere all at once. Amazing movie. Last year, it was a shared favorite movie of the year for us. That's a sci-fi movie. You mm-hmm. know, that's a an absolute sci-fi movie. It could have just as easily, like some of those directors, other movies stayed kind of like a weird genre movie. But, you know, because it got elevated, quote, which is a term I fucking hate, um, you know, because of the actors that were the level of actors that were in it and the mar- like the marketing campaign that it got. It's like an Oscar movie now. And that's how like there's like uh, author Mike Chen, surrogate, like all the examples we used earlier. There's so many things that could go either way. And I do want to say sometimes we get emails from people who are listeners and they wish that we had different reading tastes <laughs> and they're like I really wish you guys talked about more literary fiction and the thing is we actually do talk about quite a bit of literary fiction it's just a lot of the literary fiction we like is in that crossover space well here's and here's what I also say to them start your own fucking podcast <laughs> <laughs> especially when we get like grumpy emails for some reason people who email us and say they want to tell us that they don't like the show they're like you guys read too much horror or too much sci-fi or too much weird stuff and I'm like I don't know what to tell you we do our best but this is our this is our tastes in books like there's so many other podcasts out there that really read only like only literary fiction with no speculative elements at all and one of the special reading glasses correspondents who will remain nameless but is uh, essential to the show said that that's why the term speculative fiction started so that people who are more like book snoots who only read literary fiction could feel better about themselves about reading a literary fiction book that had those genre elements they're like oh it's not sci-fi it's speculative fiction (laughs) yeah I like that that's good I just feel like we are never pretending to be something we're not, you know? And that's my main goal on the show is to never be like, try not to be snooty, try to be, I feel like I want the average person to listen to the podcast and go like, oh, I do or don't like what they read, but I can relate to their reading habits. You know what I mean? So, you know. Yeah. Don't listen if you don't like it. Spaceships. (laughs) We like spaceships and haunted houses here on Reading Glasses. We don't know what else to tell you. (laughs) It's who we are as people. (laughs) Find, there's many other podcasts out there that will give you a different type of book experience. But here on Reading Glasses, we want weird shit in space. We want talking bears. (laughs) We want ghosts. Don't know what else to tell you. But back to literary fiction. You were reading some literary fiction. (laughs) I mean, I honestly read a lot of literary fiction, but it's not like something I primarily look for. Like I'm not going like today, I'm going to read a literary fiction book. I'm more apt to look for wheelhouses before doorways, if that makes sense. Mm. I'd say that wheelhouses draw me in, but doorways will keep me there. I think about whether something is more literary or not, mostly when I'm recommending books to other people. That's when I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is a little bit more literary or this is a little bit more genre. Like for me, there are tons of books that I love that are considered literary. Uh, anything by Kelly Link, uh, one of my favorite authors, talked about at the top of the show. My queen, Helena Oyeyemi, who writes very weird horror adjacent fiction, but those are both considered literary authors. Um, I think it's because I love weird and surreal books so much. And those can really go either way, genre marketing wise. There's so many books. I would say most of my favorite books and authors are the types of books that are like 
annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. It just depends on who buys it and and uh, how it's marketed, and they can really go either way. Uh, I also love a lot of straight up literary fiction. Uh, you know, I love authors like Bryn Greenwood, but again, mostly this is the. The place that I really think about this is when I'm recommending it to other people or when I'm in a bookstore, because then I'm like, all right, where do I look for this book? I just think it's a good thing to be aware of. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's good for readers to know where a lot of this stuff comes from and, and to know that you're not nuts. It is very, very arbitrary. And it's good to good to think about, good to know about um, just when you're trying to find more books, trying to recommend books to people. But really, when you're on the ground, on, on the reading level here, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. I'm sure other people have different opinions, but here on Reading Glasses, it just doesn't really seem like it matters that much. It's a marketing term, which is, you know, yeah, again, it's yeah. good to know. It's good to be educated, but, you know, read what you want to read and don't care about the categories unless you have to find it in a bookstore. Yeah. <laughs> so you can send your thoughts on literary fiction to Reading Glasses Podcast at gmail.com before we interview Glasser and Reading Glasses Facebook group mod and bookseller Danielle about her chapter of the Silent Book Club. We're going to take a quick break. Reading Glasses is brought to you in part this week by Glasses. <laughs> brought to you by Warby Parker. <laughs> Warby Parker was founded with a mission to inspire and impact the world with vision, purpose, and style. And the great thing is Warby Parker offers everything you need for happier eyes. They got eyeglasses. They got sunglasses. They got contact lenses. And they have eye exams. And you can shop with them online or in stores. And glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses. Folks, if you have ever bought glasses, you know that they can run you a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of money that you could be spending on books. But at Warby Parker, they start at $95. And they have this free home try-on program. You get five pairs of glasses oh. to try on at home for free, no obligation to buy, ships free, and includes a prepaid return shipping label. Y'all, I love this aspect of Warby Parker. Mallory and I both have Warby Parker glasses. We are speaking from experience here. I love that I can go online. I can look at the glasses online. They send me a little box. I can try them on at home. I can look in the mirror. I can take photos. I can send the photos to my friends. I can ask people what they mm -hmm. think. And then you get to pick the one that you want. Going to a glasses store is so overwhelming. And you have to go somewhere, which is not my fave. I would prefer to be at home. So this makes it so easy. <laughs> I've been doing Warby Parker far before they started sponsoring the show. And they have always been great. They have great glasses. I own several pairs and you really can't go wrong with them. Yeah, everyone's been in that scenario. If you need glasses where you've been like, all right, I'm going to try to buy glasses online, especially over the past few years of the pandemic. And you like upload a grainy photo of yourself and try to like Photoshop the glasses onto your face. And what? Like, Who's doing that? You You're doing that? It. That seems so hard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're like, you can't... you. We all know you can't really tell, you know, unless you're trying them on. And the fact that Warby Parker sends them to you for free and you get to try them on in your house and you can like see how it looks like with your hair up or your hair down or different, you know, different makeup on or whatever. And like for me, I have a really hard time trying on glasses because I need glasses. So if I, when I'm trying on the pair, I have to get really, really close yeah. to the mirror. And like sometimes that's embarrassing to do in public. So it's nice to do it at home. So you can... Do what Brie and I do, and you can try five pairs of glasses at home totally for free at warbyparker.com slash glasses. That's warbyparker.com slash glasses. 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 Awesome. 
Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun, and I have a special announcement. I'm no longer embarrassed by my brother, my brother, and me. You know, for years, each new episode of this supposed advice show was a fresh insult, a depraved jumble of erection jokes, ghost humor, and frankly, this is for the best, very little actionable advice. But now, as they enter their twilight years, I'm as surprised as anyone to admit that it's gotten kind of good. Justin, Travis, and Griffin's witticisms are more refined, like a humor column in a fancy magazine. And they hardly ever say Bazinga anymore. So, after you've completely finished listening to every single one of all of our other shows, why not join the McElroy Brothers every week for My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Okay, so here we are. Very special guest. We've got Danielle Beliveau here. Danielle is a glasser, one of the mods on our Facebook group, but most importantly, the a bookseller and an inventory lead at Savoy Bookshop and Cafe in Westerly, Rhode Island. Danielle, that's a lot of things that we all love. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for remembering me from the Facebook group. We have so much fun over there. Oh, uh, we, we, I mean... Unfortunately, Bria and I both had to deactivate our Facebooks for various personal reasons, but we totally love the Facebook group. I honestly, that's the reason I hung on for so long. It's because I love the <laughs> Facebook group so much. It's such a great spot. So folks, if you are still on Facebook, please check it out. It is fantastic. But I've got to ask you the most important question. Danielle, what are you reading? Yeah, I'm actually rereading uh, Rest is Resistance right now by nice. uh, Trisha Hersey. Yeah. Perfect um, time of I the year. <laughs> Oh my God, for real. I, I feel like I had a bunch of friends years ago who were like all over the Nat Bishop's like Instagram and social media. Um, but I think I was too deep into like the grind and hustle culture bullshit that I didn't really get it. I was like, all right, naps are good, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They're but- fine. Oh, it's fine, I guess. Uh, but now that I've actually read it, it was like it was genuinely very, very life changing. I don't think I recognize the um, the social justice aspect of it about how rest can be a form of reparations um, for people of color and especially Black people um, as a way of like kind of reclaiming their bodily autonomy against a you know capitalist system that tries to treat them like machines. So mm-hmm. that was like a really, really fascinating perspective. I just haven't been able to stop thinking about it since I read it. So I'm rereading it. That's awesome. Yeah. And the uh, other thing that I'm like, quote unquote, reading is a visual novel called Life After Magic by Chirashi Games. Tell me about that. I think I think the Glassers will like really like this one. Um, It's about a former like magical girl squad. Think like Sailor Moon um, that had to grow up and get like boring adult jobs. Um, oh my God, this sounds like, amazing. It's so good. It's so cute. It's like set to, set in the nineties, like right before Y2K. So it's like very nostalgic. The soundtrack like absolutely slaps. Um, it's super wow. gay. Um, but like basically these, like these girls are brought back together by like 
one last villain, one last threat. And they're like dealing with all their interpersonal issues from their past and dealing with how hard it is to maintain adult friendships and what it means to like cause collateral damage, even when you're like trying to do the right thing. So it's like really, really cute, but also like talks about some pretty serious stuff. It's just so good. Wow. Oh my God. All right. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. That oh, please do. Amazing. So speaking of reading, so Danielle, you run a chapter of the Silent Book Club, which we talked about a little bit on the show. But as soon as I saw mm-hmm. that you talking about it in the Slack, I was like, can I can I interview about this? Because <laughs> it sounds so cool. And I really think that a lot of glassers will be interested in this. First off, so how did you find out about the Silent Book Club? Yeah, so I, I found out about it when I was stationed in Hawaii a couple of years ago. I was looking for like a social thing to do you know it's like really hard to make adult friends in your 30s Mm -hmm. um so I was like oh maybe a book club so I was looking for that in my area and I think I just found it on social media or like it was at a local cafe so I was like oh my gosh this sounds so awesome like I want to go and then COVID happened (laughs) and I never got a chance to go oh no I know I was devastated so when I came back here to Rhode Island I saw I, I got the job at Savoy bookshop and cafe and I saw that they had had um, silent book club in the past but had of course put it on pause for COVID so once things started to you know become a little safer for us to gather in public you know we were putting the chairs back into the store putting the couch back into the store people were hanging out more I was like hey maybe we can bring this back I want to I want to take charge of it and it's it's been awesome so how did how do you go about starting your own chapter? If you go to the website, which will there'll be a link in the show notes. Yes, there is there are instructions. But for glassers who are like, this sounds amazing. How do I how do I start? What do you do? Yeah, I think I think um, there will probably be if if you live close to like any large-ish city, there's probably already a chapter that you can maybe scope out for yourself. And I think that's what the group will ask. That's what. Um, silent book club general will ask you to do. Um, But if there isn't anything in your area, honestly, all it takes is like gathering one or two people in a public place and just quietly reading next to them. Um, You would be really, really surprised how much other people are like interested in seeing that happen because it's so uncommon (laughs) to see a group of people just like kind of sit in there quietly um, you know, because it's kind of like socializing, but not socializing. Socializing like for introverts. World. <laughs> yes, exactly. They call it introvert happy hour. It's so adorable. <laughs> oh my God, that's um, so cute. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, so like people are going to be interested. So if you and a couple of friends are just like reading quietly, I think my recommendation would be to like maybe put up a sign somewhere saying like what it is so that they can maybe find you next time. Cause I think, you know, if you're an introvert like me, you're going to feel really weird about interrupting someone reading to be like, Hey, what are y'all doing over here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You don't want to be that person. (laughs) Hey, no, you guys are really peaceful and happy. Uh, Can I bother you? I know you're like deliberately trying to have zero distractions right now, (laughs) but I want to know. So think about that. (laughs) And so that's the coolest thing about the silent book club, right? Is there's a lot of after our, our recent book club episode, we got a lot of emails from people who are like, "How do I start a book club? How you know picking a book is so difficult." The silent oh book God. club, you just read whatever you want. Yes, yes, and that's like one of the coolest things is 
you know, sometimes book clubs can feel like homework if you're not like wicked into the book. Um, or oh, my it's problem so nice is, to is interview that I, a New Englander. I'm so happy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I got you. Yeah. Cause like, especially if you're not into it or like you have a lot of really, like my, my problem was like, I would always have strong opinions about the book no matter what. And I feel like I was monopolizing the conversation. Um, so like people don't I get you. That's how I am in book clubs. My opinions all the I time. am the same way. <laughs> Yeah, so it's one of the, especially as a bookseller, like it's such a joy to like see what our regulars bring to Silent Book Club because I'm learning so much about other books that I had either only heard about or don't know anything about. So that actually helps me in a professional way too because I learn more about different types of books that might not be in my wheelhouse. I love that. And so then you do, you do an hour of reading together Mm -hmm. and then you do Mm -hmm. like a little bit of social time afterwards. Yeah, usually as folks are like filtering in, we usually do like a couple of minutes of socializing first. Be like, hey, here's what I brought. Here's what I think of it so far. Um, And then right now we're only, I think we're only doing 45 minutes of silent reading just because our store is closing a little earlier on winter hours. But traditionally when we're open a little longer, yep, we do. We set a timer for an hour. um, We read quietly. And then, you know, as we're all gathering up our things, we know chatting about like, if any big developments happened in the book or um, anything exciting, or if you're like, I really don't like this. Like I was reading Grady Hendrix's um, How to Sell a Haunted House. Oh no, oh no. And I was like, (laughs) when I first, when I first started the hour of reading, I was like, I don't know. I keep hearing this book is scary, but like so far it's just kind of low key family drama. Um, And then after the hour, hour, I was like, psych, this book is extremely scary. (laughs) Good book to read in public though, for that reason. Agree. Totally agree. <laughs> and so, and so, your experience running the Silent Book Club has been seems like it's been really good so far. Seems like a little bit e- maybe easier than a regular book club for people who oh, are yeah. like, I want the experience of having bookish friends, but picking a book and dealing with all of that seems a little stressful. Yeah, it's a lot. It's uh, again choosing the book, trying <laughs> to figure out uh, questions for it. Seems so. It seems like running a Silent Book Club might be a better option for people who want a little bit of a less stressful book club experience. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely much less work. I mean, there's always that fear whenever you're like hosting or in charge of any event, like, what if nobody shows up? Mm-hmm. Um, but the good thing about this is that it just requires like maybe one or two other people. Like at first, when we were first trying to get it off the ground, like my friends came just to come and sit with me. You know, some of my coworkers would clock out and then come and sit with me. Um, so that just kind of generated a little bit of momentum until, you know, the word got out until people saw us at the store, you know, at Thursday afternoon reading quietly together. So yeah, it's, so it's, cute. I think it's a lot easier. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. And so do you have any advice for glassers who are listening to this and are like, I want in hot, like any advice on, you know, obviously for you, your, you, the spot mm-hmm. that you picked is the bookshop, but do you have any, any tips for people on getting members? What, mm-hmm. you know, any hot tips for hot book club <laughs> tips? Yeah, I, I'd say like, um, you might need to consider a venue change if your book club gets too big. Um, but you know, as long as it's like pretty small, you don't really need to worry about logistics. Um, It's probably a courtesy to let, you know, whichever establishment you're going to, whether it's a bar or a cafe or a bookstore or a library, um, just to give the folks there who are working just a heads up. I'm like, hey, I'm expecting a group of, you know, 
maybe three or four people. Um, is there anything we can do to make this easier for you? Should we um, put everything on a single tab? Should we separate things out from the start? You know, just just to communicate with them so they're not caught off guard. Um, but other than that, it's just um, it's just marketing and promotion. You know, ask if if it starts going well, if you can advertise it on their website and their social media, or advertise it on your own social media um, because <laughs> that's how introverts are gonna find it. Is on the internet at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Love it. Oh, well, and so speaking of your bookshop, Savoy has some pretty exciting news. Yes. Yeah. So we um, we unionized at the end of last year and the company voluntarily recognized our union. So oh that's been God. really, really exciting. Yeah. So yeah cool. We're so happy. Huge congratulations. Um, thank you. Yeah. I work with some of like truly the most amazing, hardworking, dedicated people. It's it's such an honor to have been in this process with them. And I, I think it's really important for glassers to remember that when they go to their like beloved little indie bookstores that, you know, those employees there are probably getting paid minimum wage or not much more than it. And, you know, with probably not any benefits. Um, so just even though we like love our jobs and we love going to work every day and we love what we do, you know, we still want to make the job, you know, sustainable in the long term. You still got to eat. I know. I have got to feed the cats. We got to feed know? the booksellers is really what we need to do. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, like love for the job doesn't pay the bills. So, mm-hmm. you know, we wanted to make it a, a sustainable career for all of us. That is awesome. Huge, huge congratulations. Thank you. Uh, So finally, you know, we're going to ask, Danielle, what is your wheelhouse? (laughs) Okay. My, you know, I had, I had never thought about this truly in a concrete way until I was preparing for this question. I was like, oh, surely I've written a wheelhouse down somewhere. No, I had not. Um, so a big moment is I, upon you. <laughs> I know. It's like, oh, no, I have to write something down. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so I think my what my wheelhouse is, at least right now, is um, very weird literary fiction. Love it. Anything set in space. You um, are such a glasser. <laughs> <laughs> You know, actually, I um, heard about the book Gideon the Ninth through Bria, through Reading Glasses. Um, I never would have picked it up before. And that's how I met my girlfriend was through oh this book. Oh, my God. That's I so know, cute. Right? Oh, my God. <laughs> so I'm so grateful that I found this book through this podcast because oh, I dying. got my girlfriend. That is, the cute, that is <laughs> a Gideon the Ninth fucking meat cute is killing me right I know me, it's right too now. much I oh know my God. It's, it's obscene I know it's too much wow I love <laughs> so it in that vein I also love um messy and dramatic queers <laughs> um I love psychological thrillers and horror and if anyone has a better like a title for this please let me know um but like true crime but soft um Cozy so like, true crime. <laughs> so, so like true crime that's not like too grisly and violent, you know? It's I totally like, know what you mean, though. I think we talked about this a while ago on the true crime episode, but I love true crime that's like not about murders necessarily, but like yes. like one step down, like misdemeanor crime. Yes. True misdemeanors. Thank you. True misdemeanors. Um, <laughs> like people like, yeah, I don't want to read the grisly stuff. 
heists, whatever. I don't want to yes. hear about someone being made into a lampshade, but I think totally down with hearing about, you know, someone stealing something weird. Like, oh God, yes. I can't remember the name of it, but that book I read a few years ago, I think I talked about it on the show about a guy whose whole, he like did this heist by stealing feathers from this natural yes. museum, stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, I yes. mean, it gives you that true crime feeling, but without wanting to like sleep with the lights on and, and a knife under your pillow. Right. It's like that is stealing feathers in that instance is a crime, but mm-hmm. like, it's like more shenanigans than it is murders. I like soft crime though. I think that's great. I think we should start calling it soft crime. Soft crime. I love it. I think that we could, we got to keep it like that. Soft crime is very funny. <laughs> nice. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for joining us. Where can we find Savoy online? Where can we find you online? We know that you're in the moderator of the Facebook group, but do you have yeah, find me Instagram, there. Twitter, anywhere else? And does Savoy have any cool Instagram? Maybe they're on TikTok. Is there anything <laughs> that... Uh, I assume all cool book people are on TikTok, TikTok now, except for us. Oh God, I wish I wish that we were. Um, yeah, I don't just don't think we have like the the bandwidth. Uh, <laughs> honestly, like I think most of us who work there are in our thirties at this point, so like we're no longer cool adults. Yeah, um, we've definitely aged out yeah. of being cool adults. So I think we're like mostly on Instagram. Um, if you just search for uh, Savoy Bookshop and Cafe, that'll come up. Um, our website is also banksquarebooks.com. Um, we are a sister store of Bank Square Books in Mystic, Connecticut. Um, and I do most of the web orders for our store, um, fulfilling the web stuff. So if you want to buy a book from a unionized local indie, uh, make sure you put in that you're a glasser. I'd be happy to take care of you. Hell yeah. Um, and for, I mean, personally, I'm like trying to do the Homer Simpson meme where he like <laughs> fades into the bush. Um, but I do have so a find public... Danielle in, in your nearest head. <laughs> yes, find me in the bushes, hiding, <laughs> not wanting to be perceived. Um, but I do have a public Twitter that's called Wreck to Your Book. That's R E C D Y O U R B O O K, where I just post the shelf talkers that I write at Savoy and tag the author just so they can get a little, just a little boost. Like, Hey, I recommended your book. Love that. Well, well, all right. I'll put links in the show notes to all of this. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Now let's answer a recommendation request from one of our listeners. Micah writes in, Good afternoon from Central Kentucky, Bria and Mallory. I just finished listening to your episode on reader quirks and wanted to share a few of mine. One, being able to walk around and read at the same time. Two, if the book I am reading is available as an audiobook too, I will check out the audiobook and switch between the two formats. Sometimes I'll listen to the audiobook for 10 minutes and then continue reading the book. Wow. Three, when I visit my regular drinking establishment, I always bring a book with me as well as a crossword puzzle. Mm-hmm. Four, while reading, I keep either a post-it note or an index beside me to make notes, particularly if the book is for book club or assigned for something else. My reader wheelhouse consists of professional wrestling autobiographies, modern day horror suspense, books featuring a bar, drinking establishment, and or library or bookstore, and duology. Any recommendations for similar reads that this is how you lose the time war? P.S. I'm a librarian at a university for the last six months and previously worked as a librarian at the Louisville Free Public Library for 10 plus years. Rock on you two awesome hosts. Insert slide whistle. Wait, wait. <laughs> 
<laughs> all right, Bria, what should Micah read? All right. So first of all, Mallory, I think we've had another episode where people wanted something for This Is How You Lose the Time War. People are clamoring for for read-alikes for This Is How You Lose the Time War because well, it's such a unique book. Guess what? Yeah, that doesn't exist. I feel like I had the same answer, which is that doesn't exist. Is that possible? Y'all, if I'm repeating myself, at least you know I'm consistent. Um, okay, so... Um, <laughs> The question for me I started thinking about is, okay, what is drawing Micah in here? Is it the romance? Is it the time travel? Is it the style of writing? Because this is written, you know, in letters. If you don't know, this is how you lose the time war. It's written in epistolary, right? Um, But none of these things are Mm -hmm. in Micah's wheelhouse. So then I was like, oh, like, okay, it's this massive idea that takes place over this huge war. Like maybe Micah likes war books. I don't know. Maybe it's the length. It's a small book. None of these are in Micah's wheelhouse. So I really got very stumped on this. Um... So I went with war and length of book. That's what I went with to find something. In time travel. In time travel, yes. I went with um, an older book called All You Need Is Kill by Hiroshi Sekirazaka, Mm -hmm. uh, translated by Alexander O. Smith. Um, It was made into a movie called Live, Die, Repeat, um, which honestly I kind of liked, but I had already read the book. Um, I don't know what people's general feelings were about it, but this is like a sci-fi war book. And it is it is similar to the movie, but um, the book is just so good. And it's short. It's a short little book. Basically, a character gets thrown into battle, knowing nothing, has no idea how to be in a war, has to fight aliens and then dies, and then wakes up the next day and has to live it all over again, knowing what they knew, what they didn't, they didn't know anything before, but now they know what they learned yesterday. And then it's like they get to repeat that over and over again. So hopefully, maybe this is something appealing if... That was what was appealing about this is how you lose the time war. That's my suggestion. Live Diary. Uh, I think no, this all is you a need great is recommendation. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, I love the title All You Need Is Kill because I think it's like such a fucked up war war title. Um, <laughs> uh, what do you have for Micah? What what did you use? Because you did romance, and I think that that's why I chose. Not, yeah, not I think romance. we I think we covered all the bases here. Okay, okay, okay. I think you got the time travel war part, and I got the queer romance kind of sort of enemies to lovers sort of deal. So I'm going to recommend a book that is a buzzy book amongst the glassers. It's A Marvelous Light by Freya Marsky. Uh, So it's a fantasy book. It's the start of a series. It's about a man who accidentally becomes the liaison for a magical society and finds out that his one is like, oh my God, magic exists and this magical society exists. But oh my God, the guy who work was working this position before me has disappeared in mysterious circumstances so suddenly he's thrown both into this magical world and this mystery that he needs to solve of what happened to the person before him all while being thrown together with his counterpart in the magical bureaucracy who is a man that is both infuriating and very sexy Mm -hmm. uh i'm recommending it because it has like it has the elements of this is how you lose the time war where it's like two agents who are you know sort of uh not enemies but kind of you know they're thrown together in this fantasy world uh it's a kind of a reluctant but spicy queer romance it's also very short i we're both we both pick short books because you know this is how you lose the time wars packs a punch it's definitely a a short book but i think it hits on a few wheelhouse items uh and i think between these two books we're we've got the bases pretty much covered right i think we did a good job so my recommendation is a marvelous light by freya marski and mine is All You Need Is Kill by Hiroshi Sakurazaka, translated by Alexander O. Smith. 
So if you want us to solve your reader problem or answer your recommendation request, you can send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank the wonderful mods who run our Facebook group, including Danielle, who is on the show today, and Chrissy, who moderates the Goodreads page. We never heard from Rachel, so it's now just Chrissy. We also haven't heard from Chrissy. So someone, anyone in touch with the Goodreads page, let us know. But for now, we're just giving all the kudos to Chrissy. Uh, and remember, if you want to support the show, Help us feed our hungry, hungry animals. You can look sexy and bookish by buying Reading Glasses merch over at our Void Merch store. There's totes and mugs and shirts and sweatshirts and stickers. I just looked at my my, my other car as a TBR list sticker this morning and had a little chuckle to myself because it still makes me laugh. Uh, there's a link in the show notes for that. And if you like the show and you want to do something for free for us that really helps us out, rate and review us on the podcast listening app of your choice. We're getting close to 1,500 on Apple Podcasts. If you're wow. an Apple Podcast listener, help us out. You do it through the app. It'll take you less than a minute. Open your Apple Podcast app, search for Reading Glasses. On that same page will be a place to give us a five-star review and uh, uh, write a little review if you want. It really makes a big difference for us. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast, on Instagram at readingglassespodcast. Thanks for listening and thanks, thanks for, for reading. reading.